What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Chantal Guju. <laughs> so I met Chantal at NASCAD. We can't seem to remember because our brains are old if uh, we had a class together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then we ran into each other like 15 years later and it was like, oh snap, you exist. So Chantel, what is it that you do today? So that is a big question because I do a lot of things. Um, but the four big ones, I guess. I am a jewelry technician at NASCAD University. I'm a regular part-time faculty at NASCAD University. I'm a jewelry appraiser, and I also am on the board of Coadorn Art Jewelry Society. Nice, nice. What exactly is Coadorn? So Coadorn is uh, an organization that I co-founded in 2017 with Emily Wareham, who is another local jeweler, to kind of build community for art jewelers and all kinds of jewelers in Nova Scotia because we felt there was a, a lack of a cohesive community for sharing ideas and developing opportunities and uh, sharing. Yeah. Mm, so what's the difference between an art jeweler and, say, another kind of jeweler? <laughs> <laughs> so again, that's like a really big question that I don't even think we could answer in an hour. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> typically, like this is a very broad stroke of what an art jeweler is, but um, art jewelry is um, jewelry made by artists. So there's usually a lot of material research, concept, um, not necessarily uh, jewelry made solely for uh, adornment. Usually there's a statement of some kind. Uh, it's trying to create a conversation. Um, yeah, usually, not always, but oftentimes uh, using alternative materials. So metals are involved, but there might be all kinds of other things involved too. Um, so it's beyond metal and gemstones. Okay, cool. Cool. So you're currently in Halifax. Yes. Where'd you grow up? I'm from Moncton, New Brunswick, and I moved to Dartmouth in middle school and moved back to Moncton in high school and then immediately left to go to NASCAD. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what kind of uh, child were you? <laughs> uh, I was a pain. <laughs> uh, too much attitude, too much sass, because I thought it made me seem intelligent. And uh, I was always told that I was mature and didn't understand until later that that didn't actually mean that I was mature in any way, shape or form. It just meant that I was good at keeping a schedule and making it through to-do lists. <laughs> it was a pain, That's I think. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. That's funny. So like <laughs> were you like like just giving your parents a hard time? All of the time and I don't know that there was any reason for it other than because I could. 
they uh, they let me so i did it <laughs> that that doesn't surprise me yeah <laughs> so um like tell me about your work How, like what are you in the art side of jewelers or are you the other kind of jeweler so i've tried to do all of it and i think that i am currently both so um it's come kind of finally come full circle for me because when I was a student at NASCAD, I struggled a lot with the um, like concept development and um, uh, being conceptual with my work because I really wanted to just get a job with Cartier and call it a day. And I didn't feel that I was necessarily learning the skills that would get me that job. Uh, that I never got. <laughs> um, and so I had lovely mentors there who recognized that I needed something different than the studio environment that was being provided to me. And so um, someone there had a connection with the head designer at Burks in Montreal. And so for my final studio, I didn't make any art. I packed up everything I owned and I moved to Montreal and I went and worked for Burks and then was marked as present in my studio class, but was never there. Instead, I was being an intern. Oh. Um, yeah. And so that was really great. But then through a bunch of crazy circumstances, Burks was bought by an American company and they don't design their own jewelry anymore. And it's all um, outsourced to other countries. And there was no potential to be hired there. Um, and, but Saren, with a little bit of serendipity, uh, the designer at Burks suggested that maybe I should learn a little bit about gemstones. And so through many, many years and several degrees later, I became a gemologist which usually plays into more of the commercial side of jewelry, like identifying gemstones and evaluating gemstones. And then something happened in the past few years that I realized, okay, well, maybe now that I really understand what art jewelry is, maybe I will fit in there too. And I uh, went back to grad school and am making that kind of work now. Okay, cool. So like, it, when I listen to like a rap song and I hear them say like VVS and all that kind of, you know what yeah. that means? <laughs> I do know. I do know what that means. And I can identify that and certify stones as being that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> uh, That's a very yeah. nice diamond. <laughs> <laughs> no, like when I, I kind of learned a bit about that stuff, like during the, uh, looking for the engagement ring for my wife. And yeah, like, sure. This is a whole other world. Yeah, it's a very um, complex system for pricing, really, yeah. is what it is. Yes, yeah. crazy. How yeah. are you coping with the pandemic? Uh, the pandemic has been interesting. I have two little children, mm -hmm. one that is in school and one that is not in school. So when the daycares closed, I uh, became a stay-at-home mom, which was never in my life plans and hasn't been easy. But on the flip side, I really like being at home. Mm. Uh, so it's nice to not have to leave home. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, hard, hard to be a full-time parent because that was never my plan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel you. 
<laughs> yeah, it's hard. I don't, I never learned the skills to entertain uh, young people for extended periods of time. And I'm really not good at playing. I'm not, for somebody, you know, who is allegedly creative, I'm not good at coming up with uh, ideas for keeping them active during the day. They're two very different age groups. One is a, an old eight-year-old and one is a young four-year-old and they don't want to hang out together. And I'm not really great at kind of bridging the gap between their ages and yeah, keeping them happy all day. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I'm not great at, at coming up with activities and Sometimes people are like, oh, you're an artist, though. You could come up with like a cool craft that they could do or like some kind of art activity. And I'm just like. That assumes they want to do that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they might not want to do any of that. Exactly. Uh, What I've come to learn is uh, they just want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And sometimes it's play outside. Sometimes it's not play outside. Sometimes it's it could be reading. And then times when you want them to read, they want to do something else. It's like. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally, I'm sure, a very different dynamic between um, how they behave with us and what they're like when they're at school or at daycare with other people. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. My youngest in particular, uh, teachers are always surprised at how um, she's not quiet. And at home, she can't move through the house without singing or stomping or doing spinning and jumping and screaming and it's like they're like she does what at home at school she's so quiet and doesn't sing much and it's like Uh uh, yeah and so it's like we we see you see you playing games with us um yeah (laughs) so um I saw you doing some like stone experiments is that like related to the gemology So no, the stone experiments that um, you may see on social media are my thesis work, because even through the pandemic, I defend my master's thesis uh, in mid-August, and so I'm still trying to create that body of work with limited access to resources and time. Uh, Yeah, so I've been growing crystals. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, to set it home um, into jewelry. But uh, yeah, it's a lot like um, elementary school science. But mm. uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I'm learning a lot. Are you able to like, say, if you hypothetically wanted to do one like the size of a room, could you do like something like that? You can do that with certain chemicals that reacts better um, than others. But there are artists that have done that. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I can send you some links of some people that have done similar things like that to make statements about like public housing in the UK. Um, I wish I could remember his name right now. But yeah, there's a somewhat recent within the past few years, a contemporary artist that filled a room with these electric blue crystals. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting like cool uh, installation ideas now. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Actually get together. Yeah, totally. What the work that I'm working on, um, the pieces that I'm working on, I've been making molds uh, and then growing crystals into those molds that I've made. So I'm being very um, deliberate in the profile, the outcome, and the shape of what these crystals look like. Yeah. Okay. Exerting my control on these crystals. Hmm. Hmm. So, and I see you've got like 
bones in some of your work? Yeah, so my work is about kind of the properties of how crystals develop and bone is a crystal, but I'm using cow bone. Oh, okay. So, so it's not human bone would have been better, but <laughs> turns out that's actually really hard to get. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been using cow bone. Um, yeah, to kind of show, um, to compare and contrast, I guess, visually between the beautiful sparkly crystal that we uh, know and love to the bone crystal that we kind of neglect and is less attractive. So bone is like a type of crystal? It is a crystallized material, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a deeper statement than I, I thought. Yeah, so this work is all about um, perfectionism and failure because atomically when a crystal grows, it's made up of um, very specifically shaped blocks that stack in three dimension on itself. Mm. But its failure is that it can, can grow forever but will never grow forever because something else stops it from being able to do so. Um, mm. So in that like attempt at perfection, it can't ever achieve it and is bound to fail. And right. so that is kind of a little bit deeper into what my thesis is about. Okay. And your MFA is in gemology or? No, it... my MFA is in interdisciplinary arts. Oh, okay. Or will be, hopefully. <laughs> Come on. You know, the idea. Get it. I mean, I don't know. I've never heard of anyone failing an MFA, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, people who tend to do that kind of thing are driven enough that yeah. it's just not likely. So, well, and we both know that you can argue all kinds of things for art. So, this is yeah. true. This is true. How <laughs> yeah. much arguing did you spend? At, like, uh, how much time did you spend arguing at NASCAD when you were? <laughs> NASCAD was okay, though. I think. Um... NASCAD was okay. I didn't love crit. Like I don't, I have a lot of strong opinions about how like a 20 person group crit operates. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's a really old school and outdated way of like helping a person develop their body of work or to um, give advice on ways forward. I really like strongly dislike the crit process. It's actually been a lot harder in my MFA because as a jeweler in an interdisciplinary arts program, I am speaking mostly to fine artists, like painters, pri primarily painters, mm. and they're, we don't speak the same language. Ah. Our art language is very different. And um, yeah, it's, that has been the hardest part, so, I think. So like when you teach, how does that work? Is it, now you're on the other side. Yeah. So when I teach, though, I'm not teaching. It's a liberal arts and science class. So when I teach, I only teach gemology. I don't teach mm. studio arts because I don't have an MFA. So I'm not allowed to. Oh, okay. uh -huh. So um, in my liberal arts and science class, gemology, it is like a science class mm. for jewelers and all, or not jewelers. I have a lot of students from Dal actually who take my class. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of more like a special interest class. Uh, and we do like more science experiments and testing and learning about how minerals form and about the VVS and things like that. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's more of like a, a vocabulary class. 
<laughs> learn all yeah yeah back to basics high school physics and chemistry and lots of words new words mm. so yeah. like I've been somewhat interested in teaching I'm not sure if I ever would want to do it but sometimes I think I would it, do you find and I think I, if I did I would teach at the university level do you find that people are like independent and want to do the work or you still kind of have to chase some people it totally depends on the student mm. um i i would say like if you divided the class up um because our class size is very small and like a class of a dozen students we probably i would say i would have four students that are exceptional mm -hmm. i would have i don't know 10 students that are doing just fine. They're yeah. putting in as much as they want to put in and they're happy with that. And that's totally their prerogative. And then I have one or two students that struggle or don't want to be there. And they're a little bit more work in trying to help them. Yeah. Get through what they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I really think it's all based in like how you approach teaching. Uh, yeah, I think it's really a lot in the professor to mitigate those things. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Yeah. So in terms of your work as a jeweler and a, yeah. not as a jeweler, would you that's say okay. you're a jeweler too? Or uh, is that not really? I, th I think that that's really a hard, I think everyone is interdisciplinary. Oh. I am currently focusing on jewelry, but mm -hmm. I've, done other things i know how to draw and paint but mm -hmm. i prefer jewelry right now but maybe not forever so like you really you're multidisciplinary and i think everybody sense. is though don't you yeah. I, you know? yes that's true yeah yeah i think that like even throughout history just someone might be known for a specific discipline but they've done lots of different things like we, we went to school and had to take all of those classes, like 16 courses over a four year period. Like they weren't, every class wasn't jewelry. I have two minors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could have gone, I, I, I was very close to, I think I minored in digital media, but I could have minored in, I think a drawing or illustration or something like that because I yeah. took so many drawing courses. Yeah, exactly. I minored in art history and graphic design. Uh-huh. Right, which, right. Yeah, which sounds really impressive. I want to put the caveat out there that it sounds like, oh man, she must have worked really hard. It really <laughs> just means I only took courses in art history and graphic design and jewelry and nothing else. Yeah, that's more or less me too it was like right. I just happened to take a lot of classes in that same stream so it's mm -hmm. like it worked out that I could I had a minor basically yeah exactly <laughs> I didn't go to school for 10 years I just only took three types of classes that's all yeah <laughs> yeah so what would you say is the hardest part is there a hard part or do you you kind of just does your work just kind of flow for you in like the creative work in the creative work yeah um, I am a, I think I blame graphic design for this, okay. especially when you and I were in school, we did everything by hand. Yeah. 
And so there's like a level of meticulousness that I, we were taught to have. And I think it transfers really nicely into jewelry. And we have a lot of success in the jewelry department with students who we steal from graphic design because we know how to take elements and rearrange them over and over and over and over again until you get a successful outcome. So to me, that exercise is just part of the making process. So Mm -hmm. uh, for me, the struggle is more in like the material exploration because art jewelry, you can make it out of anything. Mm -hmm. kind of like settling on is this going to be made out of plastic is it going to be made out of cow bone is it going to be made out of paper it doesn't it's kind of like developing the concept and exploring the materials for me that's the harder part but the actual making is fun it's the fun part so and you I had a similar trajectory in terms of I just wanted to work for a big fancy agency yeah uh, when I came out of school um did you find when you got to work at Burks did that change your perception of what the commercial side of things looks like I think that's a hard question to answer because the commercial side is a whole industry Mm -hmm. and it was nice to be locked away up in the offices and to be looking at um the historical pieces because it's an old company they had you know a over a hundred years worth of jewelry that you could reference for work. But the part that I really didn't enjoy was the practical side, like the drawing and the coming up of I- with ideas was fine. But what they would do is that they would come in and they would say, we just bought 500 of this stone in this shape. Mm-hmm. You need to come up with a design that costs less than X amount of money using this stone in this way and the even though I really like limitations the limitations really like sucked all the creativity out of it Mm, because it would you know it'd be like you have this stone it has to be surrounded by diamonds it has to be in yellow gold it can't be taller than this on your finger if it's a ring for example and it has to cost less than fifteen hundred dollars like it really kind of sucks all of the fun out of it yeah yeah so like if, if you're outside of that situation, you just like, hey, this thing I made could cost $100 or it could cost $30,000. You're just kind of going. Yeah, there's more freedom that way. Mm-hmm. But gotcha. yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one thing that is very, I find, challenging. So do you find in general, too, people might pick a lane even if they're going down that path in terms of I always do this type use this type of metal or I always use these types of gems I think and this is again like a real broad generalization that people past students myself included often will go down the path where they're making production jewelry so they're Um, making the same piece over and over and over again at kind of like an under $500 price point. Yeah. Or they are making engagement and wedding jewelry because it's incredibly difficult to make a living as an artist jeweler. Mm. It's a very misunderstood discipline. Uh, A lot of people see the work and think it's not wearable or that it's like really weird. 
Yeah. Um, oftentimes like way bigger than what people want to wear on a regular basis. So again, like a real broad generalization, cause this is not a hundred percent true, but a lot of times it's other art jewelers who are buying and wearing art jewelry. Right. So, like we are our own market in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like the general population is wearing um, kind of more production silver jewelry or their wedding jewelry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your work's been exhibited all over the place. So in Cougar, yes. Seoul, Philadelphia, Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you get that kind of attention? So it isn't um a lot of it is calls a lot of it is opportunities like Seoul and Vancouver those are both opportunities that Coadorn created for Coadorn members mm-hmm. um we are really fortunate that we have a very strong like we're not a when i we're not a small group we're over 75 people okay And so we have members who have connections and they are willing to put the work in to benefit the rest of the membership. Mm. So a professor at NASCAD is a member of Coadorn and she has connections in Korea because she is Korean. And last time she was home visiting family, walked into a gallery or a few galleries and said, Hey, I want to bring work here. Will you have a show for us? And they agreed because she has such an incredible reputation. And then the gallery in Vancouver is another member that we have who is a curator who has access to a gallery. And then our board here has a strong connection to the Mary E. Black gallery for the center of craft Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we were able to have this traveling exhibition by using our resources that already existed within the membership. Mm -hmm. I think with like the opportunities in the U.S., I really feel like I I go to grad school in America, and I think that that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have gotten into any of those shows if I was a Canadian applying, right. um, but I can have the appearance of having strong connections to America, and I think that helps me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really for a lot of those shows, they're called for entries. And I believe that like a really good quality photo and a strong artist statement is all you need. And the $35 to enter the contest to get in. (laughs) Cool. So basically like, just don't sit around, uh, actively go out and look for these opportunities. Yeah. Actively go out and look for these opportunities. Um, I'm really fortunate because of having been a student in the States. I have lots of like really great friends who, Mm. when they see calls, maybe locally, like I have friends in New York who are constantly looking at calls for entry, who will see a call that they think applies to me and they'll send it along. I would never have found those calls myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it's really all about working your connections. I Mm. think. Yeah. And not being afraid. I have um, one of my um, classmates in my cohort is really smart. I thought that he sets aside a budget every year of how much money he is going to spend on call for ent- calls for entry, knowing uh-huh. that every time you apply to a call, it's somewhere between um, Canadian and like $50 American. Mm -hmm. And he just knows that he's setting aside however much money every year that he is actively putting towards calls for entry. 
smart, almost like a, yeah. a marketing budget. Yeah, absolutely. I think for an artist, you have to do that. Um, there's a lot of, um, we get a lot of pushback with Coadorn because we do charge an entry fee because we need, or um, like a call for entry fee. So regardless of whether you're accepted into the show, we charge a certain amount of money to process the work that mm -hmm. is being submitted, but we need that money to put the show on. Mm -hmm. So we're not being paid because we're a volunteer organization and we're a volunteer board, but we need that money to build displays and print posters and print postcards and to do um, advertising and things like that. But there is a culture I find right now, especially within the past few years, where um, younger people really don't want to pay entry fees. Mm -hmm which I totally get because it's a gamble that you're putting money forward when you might not have it Yeah. Uh, to potentially be rejected, Yeah. but that the organization needs that money to put the show on. So it's kind of a, yeah. It's a, it's tough because yeah, it's hard to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Because I get that. I totally know what it's like to be a student with no money. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But as someone now who's on the other side, who needs that money to put on the show, <laughs> You know what? Like, I find I'm finding that too. It's like the more you sort of become a part of establishments and things, you realize, mm -hmm. oh, these things are all trying to figure out how to generate revenue in order to survive and grow, just like everyone else. And um, sometimes it's not as easy as people think. Like, sometimes people think of, of an institution is just um, like independently wealthy and it's just not always mm -hmm. the case and that is so not how it is I uh I definitely didn't realize how different it would be on the other side mm -hmm. but I've been on the other side for a long time now <laughs> but uh even um to be a student now, but to also work in an academic environment as an instructor and as a studio manager, it's, um, when I hear the concerns of other students, I'm like, yes, I can totally, I can see your point of view now in a way that I hadn't or had forgotten, but I also know exactly what's going to happen on the other side. So it's really interesting, um, to kind of have feet in both water. Yeah. Like full disclosure, I'm a, a board member. Yes. <laughs> so, I kind of like, but I'm also an alumni and I'm also mm -hmm. someone who cares a lot about students and was a student. So the concerns of students are important to me. The concerns of faculty are important to me. Mm -hmm. But then I also see the behind the scenes of some of the questions the board is trying to tackle and challenges the board has and, and all of those kind of things. So sometimes it's not a cut and dry answer or a simple solution for a lot of the problems that come up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We do have that often frequently that students will um, have a specific demand, but just not understanding that well, we get what the problem is and we really want to help you, but there are all of these barriers in the way from making that possible. And how do we, yeah, move forward? It's difficult, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you just gave some great advice. Is there any other advice you would give to someone who was pursuing a career in jewelry of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, um, we, 
have such a specific set of skills um, that I think that it's difficult for people or um, graduating students or people who are new in the field um, to understand how those skills transfer to other things. Mm-hmm. My take on it was always, as long as I was in the field, I was okay. Okay. So when I worked at Burke's, that was great. I was in the field. I was okay. I left when Burke's um, dissolved their design department. I was working as a gemologist. I was still in the field. Everything was okay. I moved to Vancouver and worked for a diamond broker. Perfect. I'm still in the field. Everything is okay. And I just always kept feeling that as long as I was still doing it, I would stay doing it. I think that it's so hard in the arts to say no to money. And that's how you end up leaving your artwork behind to take a more commercial job. So my whole thought the entire time was, okay, setting up my own studio maybe isn't for me. Uh, I'll go get a job for someone else, but as long as it's related to jewelry, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, but yeah, it basically just as long as you kind of keep working, keep building, um, as long as you're in the industry. Yeah. And I think a, like a really important thing for everyone, whether you're an artist or not, is to like know yourself or try things until you figure out who you are. Mm. Um, because I tried all of the other things. Like I tried to have an Etsy shop. I don't like making that kind of work. I don't like that price point. I don't like filling orders. I don't like spending 45 minutes every day putting things into envelopes and walking to the the post. Like these are things that I know about myself. I know that I am not, um, good at Mm self-promotion. So I try to pick things that don't involve that like I'm I just know who I am so it hasn't been super difficult for me to kind of figure out yeah Hmm. what to do okay do you have I also I also say yes to everything you say yes to everything I say yes to everything I think it's really (laughs) important to try everything (laughs) once (laughs) okay uh because that's how you figure out whether or not it's for you (laughs) okay yeah. So if I come up with a space idea for an exhibition, you're going to say yes? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Do you, you have anything uh, you want to promote that's coming up? Um, yeah, what is coming up? So for Coadorn, the three big things that are coming up is our show in Vancouver and Seoul. And we also have another group show in Quebec City, um, kind of closer to the holiday time, a place called Gallery Lewis. For myself personally, I have um, work in a show in Cambridge, Massachusetts right now. uh, That's opening in five days, I guess, at Gallery 263. Uh, I have work in an online show that's based out of Philadelphia right now for the Society of North American Goldsmiths. Um, Oh, and I have my thesis exhibition, which is coming (laughs) up, that will be online for um, almost the whole month of September. And uh, I'll promote it on social media. But if you're interested in uh, listening to my thesis presentation because of this strange COVID situation, it will be live on Zoom, so anyone wow. can drop in and <laughs> you 
yeah, hear more about the work. Cool. So yeah. how can people get in touch with you? Do you have any social media or websites, anything like that? Yeah, for sure. So my website is my name, Chantelle Gujou, G-U-S-H-U-E dot C-A. And I'm Chantelle Gujou on Instagram. All right. Chantelle, thank you for doing Art Pays Me. Happy to. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.